Have you ever been given a task to do that felt impossible? Anybody? Ever? Yeah. And have you ever taken that task and actually been able to accomplish it? Isn't that the best feeling ever? That's what it's like for me every time I go to clean out my closet. (laughs) I'll never get through it. Or my garage. It's like the feeling when you have done that is the best. And Jesus, at the very end of his time here on earth, gave us a task. And it seems impossible. But today's message is called Mission Possible. This is, you know, Jesus never gives us anything to do that he doesn't equip us to do. You know, where God guides, God provides, right? And so today we're going to talk about how to do that. I I think whenever we hear about this topic, about sharing the gospel or sharing Christ or witnessing or evangelism or whatever, it just stirs fear in all of us, doesn't it? Makes us really uncomfortable. You're just, you have all this fear and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be misunderstood and I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to be, you know despise and they're going to egg my house or whatever. And, and yet the feeling of being able to lead someone to Jesus is the best feeling ever. It is the best feeling ever. So if you have a Bible with you on your phone or one of the old school paper ones, um, would you open it up to Matthew chapter 28? If you don't happen to have a Bible, we're going to have the verses up here. This is Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. And this is the New Living Translation. Okay? Um, Before we do that, I just want to pray again and invite the Holy Spirit to come in. (sighs) Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness and your love. Lord, and we thank you that, Lord, that you're so absolutely, incredibly in love with us. Lord, we thank you so much for the Bible. We thank you that you've given us written documentation so that we can know your heart and your will and your purpose and your plans. We just lift our hearts to you this morning, Lord, and we ask that you would change them in your presence. I just ask, Lord, this morning that I would speak as though speaking the very words of God. I wouldn't say anything that is not from your heart. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Matthew 28, 16. We can't seem to get out of Matthew. We just finished the Sermon on the Mount, which took us five or six years. And now we are in the very end of Matthew, the last chapter, starting with verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, why are there only 11? Yeah, Judas. Yep. Judas was not still with them. It says the 11 disciples left for Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, we are part of an interdenominational group called Foursquare. The, the adventure is part of an overarching Um, group. So we're accountable to someone else. And we have some really amazing leaders and some, some really powerful teachers. And one of them that really was really instrumental in my Christian development, um, has gone on to be with the Lord. And his name was Ron Mel. And he used to pastor up in Oregon. And I remember going to a conference and he was speaking and he knew that that his days on earth were short. And it was like every word that came out of his mouth was just profound. 
And I just remember sitting there listening to him thinking, I will probably never hear from him again on earth. This is probably the last time, one of the last times that he will ever speak after having been a a teacher of God's word for decades. And I remember thinking that the significance of the last words that someone speaks, when they understand that they're going to be leaving this earth, the the power and the, and the importance of those words cannot be overestimated. And I think Jesus, one of the very last things that he said to his disciples was this command, was this task, was this job. And I just remember when I heard Ron Mel speak, he spoke of eternity and he spoke of the things of God and he spoke of the goodness and the faithfulness of God at the end of his life. And, I, and I'm quite sure that when he came into glory, when he came into God's presence, when he went to heaven, that God met him and said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. How many of you want that? You know, I I was thinking of it yesterday, and I just, as I was praying for you, you know, the last thing that I want to do is fill your head with knowledge, talk about the Bible, and have you walk out those doors unchanged. You know, I'm just so not interested in that. I'm interested in seeing the kingdom of God expanded in you, and that that would translate to our neighborhoods and our cities and our counties and our state and the world. And you know, when Jesus went up on that mountain, he knew exactly what was going to happen to him because he knew that he was only going to be with his disciples for a little while. And so he made every word count. And as I went through and studied this, this is a, this is jam packed. This whole section right here that we just read is jam-packed. And I think it's really significant that when Jesus said, I have all power and all authority, it doesn't say he has some of the power and some of the authority. He has all power and all authority. And isn't that such a relief? You know, considering maybe what you're going through, some of the, the devastating and painful trials that we're experiencing, that some of you are experiencing, to know that God is still on the throne and that Jesus has been given all power and all authority, regardless of what the storms are that are raging around us. And when he spoke these words, he is speaking to anyone who calls themselves a disciple which includes anyone who calls themselves a Christian. So if you go by the name of Christ, Jesus is talking to you, anybody. And you know, we think, we think, ah, I, I just don't, I'm not an evangelist. So I don't have the gift of evangelism. So I don't, I don't really ever share my faith with anyone. I never tell anybody about Jesus. I don't ever share the gospel because I'm not an evangelist. Well, if you want to take that to its logical conclusion, then you could say, well, I don't have the gift of giving, so I'm not going to give. Or I don't have the gift of service, so I'm not going to serve, right? It's ludicrous because the Bible does say, do the work of an evangelist. And what evangelist means is someone who takes good news to someone else. I mean, I want to sign up for that, don't you? And the thing is that, that in, this, in this whole section, I could see the significance of every member working, every member of the body of Christ. You know, there are those who are specifically designed and created to be evangelists. Eric was one of those. Eric is my husband who passed away a couple years ago. And he was an evangelist. He would turn any conversation into a conversation about Jesus. It didn't matter what it was about. 
He'd go to the dry cleaners. Yeah, so you know, it reminds me of the gospel. And somehow he would figure out a way to weave it in. So there are people where that is their main focus. There are other people who are like the, the Jesus Feeds team. You know, they're, they're, they're servants and they're helpers and they're mercy givers, right? And, and there are people who are teachers who are specifically supposed to teach. And there are people who are givers then, and their, their main focus is on generosity and on giving. And so there are all the different parts of the body of Christ. And, and as I was studying this section, I could see how when, when we're called to make disciples, we're called to do exactly what our mission statement is, life, world, dream, to grow our own lives, you know, to be taught to, to let the Lord disciple us and teach us and train us and to be involved with other believers where we can learn and grow and walk. And then we're supposed to impact our world. We're supposed to make a difference. Don't you want to make a difference in the world? I mean, I don't want to get to the end of my life with regrets. And then we're supposed to live our dream, which is that for which we were created. We were all created for, some, for significance. Even, even you. You're thinking, ah, that's true for everyone else, aren't you? Didn't you think that? But you are designed for purpose and and mission and calling. And Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, how many of you love Jesus? Keep my commands. Remember what his commands are? What's the, the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all your calendar, all your money, all your thoughts, your efforts, your intentions. Love God with everything. True disciples obey. And you know, I I wrestle with this because it sounds like it can become this legalistic thing. But if you think about your relationship with Jesus, spending time in the presence of God, reading the Bible, knowing what the Bible says, and and spending time in prayer, then when Jesus asks you to do something, you'll want to do it sometimes. Sometimes it's difficult, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But if you notice here, it says, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Disciples obey what Jesus tells them to do. True disciples. And it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. Now, there's this argument in some other religions that Jesus Christ is not God. But this refutes that because if he was not God, he would not have allowed these disciples to worship him. Because he, he knew he himself was God. And so when they worshiped him, he didn't rebuke them. He didn't stop them. And it says, but some of them doubted. These are the guys that hung out with Jesus for three solid years. And even these guys, some of them doubted. It doesn't say how many, but I, I actually find that kind of comforting at times to know that even the disciples doubted. But think about it. Now, Jesus has already, he's already died, was in the tomb, and was resurrected from the dead when he had this conversation with them. This is, this is after he died. So these guys are, they're like, oh, okay, I want to worship you, but oh, man, wow, this is so weird. Am I having a dream? You know, it was like surreal to them, I'm sure. Plus, some scholars have said that they didn't recognize him because he looked so different. But you think about it, he was beaten beyond recognition before he died. So who knows? When he came back, who knows what he looked like? Hadn't been that long. And it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, because of that, I am telling you to do this. Go and make disciples of all nations, which just means everyone. It doesn't mean all the different countries. 
It does mean that, but it also means all the people. All nations represent all people. And it says, you baptize them in the name of the Father, God bless you, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So therefore, therefore, because he's been given authority, he is asking us to do this. Actually, he's commanding us to do this. And what do disciples do? Disciples obey. So if you name the name of Jesus, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you. And I just remember, you know, I I told God two things. First thing I told God, this is years ago, I said, I never want to be a pastor's wife. (laughs) I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to go into all the world and preach a gospel. I did not want to be a pastor's wife. I don't know why. I was wrong about that, but I guess I had this, this notion that it was just going to be horrible. I thought, oh, how boring. The same people all the time. And then it was like, no, actually not. <laughs> it was awesome. And so God completely transformed my mind about that. And it was like I, I started to recognize. I had, I had commitment issues back then. I had a lot of bondage. So I've changed a lot since then. But at the time, I just, I just wanted to be a missionary. I just thought that would be just so exciting. And I also told God that I never wanted to come to Utah. <laughs> I was also wrong on that account. Because when I got here, it was like the Lord overwhelmed me with his goodness. He showed me how good he is. First of all, in those mountains, and then then in the people, I just absolutely fell in love with the people. But if you had told me a year before we came here that we were coming here, I would have said, God would not do that to me. (laughs) But I was wrong. And I ended up being so blessed. I am so blessed. I'm so honored to know you and, and to be able to lead this church and to serve this church, you guys are the best. So are you. You're so sweet. You are. I am just so impressed with you. I am just so crazy about you. I'm going to get all emotional. So when it says to go, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to sell your house and all your possessions and pack everything up and move to a foreign country. I think that's what we have in our mind when we, when we read this. We think it means, oh, God's going to send me to Africa. Isn't that like the, the thing? Everybody's like, oh, I don't want to give my life to the Lord because he's going to send me to Africa, right? But no. What I think go means is to step out of your comfort zone because it is uncomfortable to share the gospel, the good news. It's uncomfortable. I have been doing it for years and it's still uncomfortable for me. It's still sometimes is, ah, I just feel like, oh, I don't want to enter into that. But then when I do, it's like, oh, it's so exhilarating. It's so awesome. I was just, uh, last week would have been our anniversary on Tuesday. And so I, I went away and I stayed in an Airbnb. Have you guys ever stayed in an Airbnb? No. It's an interesting experience. And I had a hostess um, and she was delightful. And I really enjoyed talking to her. But as I was talking to her, I was praying in my mind, Lord, how can I share your love with her? You know, because it's, it's, it's one thing to share love with someone, but it's another thing to actually speak the words and, and speak the gospel. Because the Bible says faith comes through hearing and hearing through God's word. So you have to actually speak those words. That is the, the most profound act of love that you can do is to share the good news with someone. And she was telling me that she was going through a really hard time. And so I shared my story with her. And as I was sharing my story with her, I shared how I became a Christian and how Jesus revealed himself to me and how I recognized my need for a savior. And I knew that I couldn't save myself and that it was only through what Jesus did on the cross that I could be forgiven. And and so I just kind of wove it into my story. And I think for us, we, we think that it's like, 
I think the, the problem is there's a breakdown in communication. Pastors think it's the job of the people, and the people think it's the job of the pastor, right? But guess what? It's all of us. We are all called to do this, to share, and it's uncomfortable sometimes. And, and I remember um, when I, way back, and I just started praying, God, just send me people. Send me people that are hungry for you. And when I first, when I, right before I met Eric, I went to this evangelism seminar, and this guy said something really profound, and he said, you need to determine where that person is on the scale of openness. So let's say one is, if they find out you're a Christian, they will behead you. And number 10 is, they're, what must I do to be saved? They're ready to come to Christ, okay? And you kind of need to figure out on that scale, where is this person? And how much do I share with them based on their, their readiness? I don't know if this is heretical. Is this heretical, Pete? Okay, I have a, a friend here, Pete Aikens. He's a pastor down in Cedar City, tearing it up in Cedar City. Can you welcome Pete? Um, uh, so we went to church planners boot camp together when we were just coming out here. A long time ago. And um, we were scared. We were all really scared. Because did you know this is one of the main areas people throughout the world pray for as a mission field? Did you know that? You know, whenever we go to convention, whenever I go to convention, people are like, wow, it must be so hard there. Seriously, people pray for Utah. This is considered a mission field throughout the world. This is the hub and the center. People are praying for us, for you. They're praying that God would send workers because they don't want to go. That's the problem. (laughs) But the harvest is ripe in Utah. These people want to know truth. The people of Utah, I believe that because of the prayers of the saints, I believe, first of all, I believe in prayer. I believe that prayer works. And I believe if we really believed prayer worked, we would pray more, right? And I know that the prayers of the saints, we are included on many people's prayer list every single day for the state of Utah. Every single day. And and the Bible says that it's not enough for us just to say that we want to love people, we have to demonstrate it with our lives, even if it's uncomfortable. And Luke 24 says there's forgiveness for all, or forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And what does the word repent mean? Change your mind, turn and go a different direction. And that is the evidence that someone is really a disciple of Jesus is if their life is transformed. And so when it says make disciples of all nations or of all people, this means not just people who, you know, came to the front of a church one time and prayed this prayer and then go out and live the exact same way. It's not talking about that. You know, there's a lie that's been going around the body of Christ for a long time is that you can just pray this prayer and then you're saved. I remember a friend of mine, he's so funny, he's from the South, and he said that, that um, one time, you know, he, he came forward and prayed this prayer, and then he went out, and um, his friends go, okay, let's go get drunk, and he's like, what? Wait, no, I just got saved, and they go, don't you get it? Now you can live however you want, you're going to heaven no matter what. <laughs> ah, still your turn. <laughs> False. This is not the way it is. This is not the way it is. Jesus isn't saying make converts or he's not saying get people to pray the prayer because then they're saved. I mean, that's called fire insurance and that is not even a real thing, by the way. 
This is talking about people whose lives are completely transformed, who are given over 100% to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, strength, calendar, money, everything, all of it, everything. And this means people that are fully released in who they were called to be, growing their own lives, impacting their world, and living the dream. Everybody was created for a purpose, and this is what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who is operating in who they are called to be and inviting other people to come and do the same. You know, I love the part in that video where it, where it showed the chains breaking off and the hands That is what we are called to do as believers, to see the chains of bondage and sin and the world and death broken so that people can be fully released to live their lives in a way that honors God. And this is what is imperative. This is what Jesus said at the end of his time on earth. And you know what? The Bible says that no one comes to the Father unless, or I mean, no one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws them. That word draw actually means drag. So the good news for us is it's not as scary as it seems because if you really are are asking the Lord and you're really speaking to God about people and praying, Lord, show me. Show me who I should talk to. Show me someone at work that's really broken. Or show me somebody in my neighborhood. Or show me, send me somebody. You can already be assured that they're being dragged already. They're already going to be coming in and you get to share with them. You get to participate in it, in the good news. And our task is not to force people, but to present the truth to them. We are called to be witnesses. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And what does a witness do on the stand? They give their own testimony. They tell their own side of it. They, they don't have to know everything. They just have to know what they saw, right? And that's what we're called to. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to start telling people about what Jesus did in your life. And it's not about just getting people to pray the prayer. Don't do that. Don't do that to people. You know, if you're just even, okay, even this is a little side note for parents. Don't ask your child if they want to accept Jesus into their heart. Don't do that. You wait until the child really understands their need for a savior. Because until they recognize that they are a sinner and that they cannot save themselves, they will not be desperate for God. And I think too many parents think that because when their child is three years old, they say, do you want to accept Jesus into your heart? And the kid's like, yeah, sure. Without really understanding it. And I'm not saying that three-year-olds can't come to Christ. I'm not saying they can't have a revelation of their own sinfulness. But until people do, the gospel really doesn't make sense. And if you, sitting here, don't really think you're a sinner, just ask your spouse. (laughs) Or your boss, I don't know. I love what Ravi Zacharias said. He said, Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. And when we're called to be born again, you know, you can't have two lives. You can only have one life. So when you become born again, that means you have to die to the old life, die to the flesh, die to selfishness, die to living for your own personal gain. You cannot be born again unless or you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to die to your old self. You have to reject the life of sinfulness and and allow Jesus to forgive you for that and then fill you with his spirit so that you have power to witness. You have power to tell people about the love of God. And it says in Matthew 3, prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. You know, there was a guy in California years ago that um, I guess we got him to pray the prayer. And, um, and we thought that he knew the Lord. And so, you know, we treated him like he did. Only to find out that he 
he didn't want to change. He didn't want to give up any of his lifestyle. He, was, he, he felt very entitled to his sinful lifestyle, and he made sure to tell us. And it was like, we kind of led him astray a little bit by saying that, because he prayed the prayer, he prayed this prayer to accept Jesus into his heart, and his life didn't change at all. And so, obviously, we can't judge whether or not he was saved, but it does say, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Turning away from your sin, turning to God. People, people want the benefits of the Lord. So if you're sharing the Lord, don't do it like this. Don't say, do you want more love in your life? Do you want more peace? Do you want hope in your life? Do you want more joy? I mean, what idiot wouldn't say, yeah, sign me up, Right? The gospel is not about making good or bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. They're dead, the Bible says, in their trespasses and their sins. And they need to be born again, born of the spirit of God to live for Christ. And so I don't try to rush people into it because the Bible says that we need to count the cost You need to count the cost because Jesus said some pretty rough things, didn't he? Remember through the Sermon on the Mount? He said some rough things like, whoa, he's serious here. He says, if you want to to save your life, you have to lose it for his sake. And the greatest among you is the servant of all. And he said some things that, that really go against our flesh, right? It's a life of surrender. We sang that song today, I Surrender. I surrender. And again, I love the analogy of when we surrender to Jesus, it's like we're a two-year-old and we allow him to just put us in that car seat and strap us in and then he drives and we don't know where we're going. We have no clue how to get there, but it's a good thing. He's taking us somewhere good. And that's the life that is fully surrendered. He takes us to such good places. And you know, I mean, I, I, I know I talk about it all the time, but it's my life, so sorry. Um, you know, having gone through the last year and a half without Eric and, and walking the, the path that I've walked, um, I really don't know how people do it without the Lord. I mean it. I, I do not know where I would be right now if I didn't know the Lord. And his nearness and his intimacy and his, his love for me through the depth of my pain and my darkness was just so overwhelmingly comforting. And so if you don't know him, I want to introduce you to him, but you need to know it's going to cost you your life. To be a true disciple is going to cost you your life. Jesus says we need to be baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We talk about baptism here, and and we do baptisms on a regular basis, and we're not saved by being baptized. Remember that you're not saved by baptism, but it is a command. Be baptized. Repent and be baptized. So the next time we have a baptism, if you haven't been baptized and you call yourself a disciple of Christ, sign up. Call the church office and say, I want to be baptized. And the next time we have a baptism, we'll put you on the list. It is an act of obedience. It's an outward sign of something that God's doing internally. And then Jesus says, teach these new disciples to obey how many of the commands? All the commands he's given us. Believers must be educated. And this is the thing, you know, I love like, like the Billy Graham crusades or whatever, you know, the, the old school, they used to have the crusades and then people would pray. But the problem with that is that then people aren't taught to obey and disciples are learners. Disciples have to be taught because so many things of the spirit are so contrary to our natural inclination. 
So, uh, pretty much everything, I guess. <laughs> you know, it says that they're in war with each other. Your spirit and your flesh are at war with each other. And so believers have to be educated and real love to really love someone else goes against our natural tendency because our natural tendency is to want to get our needs met, to want to be selfish and everything that goes contrary to the spirit of God. And in John 17, 20, it says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now get this. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, you as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that, what? The world will believe that you sent me. And I, I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox here. I'm so broken over the divisions in the body of Christ. I'm so broken over that. I, you know, this week I was, I was listening to some, some different teachings and they, they're so void of the spirit of God. They're biblically sound, but they're just so, uh, what's the word? They're so derogatory toward anybody that doesn't believe the way they believe. And as Christians, we are called to love as Christ loved us. That means without judgment, without disdain, without rejection. You know, sometimes some, some Christians, if, if you don't believe the same way they believe, they close their heart to you. I mean, I've been mistreated worse by, by people in the body of Christ sometimes than by people in the world. And it's so sad to say because that's the human condition. You know, we are all sinners saved by grace. Thankfully, we're saved by grace. But the divisions in the body of Christ, and I want to warn you against this, because this is the thing that is preventing the world from coming to know him. That's what Jesus says. He says that that we could be one. Believers could be one. People who believe in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross... And that he is God, the gospel. That everybody that would believe that could just extend each other grace and love and acceptance. You know, it's like one thing I love about about our denomination or about Foursquare is they say in, in essentials, unity. So that means the basic tenets of what the Bible says. That the Bible is the word of God, Jesus Christ is God, all of these things, in those things, unity. But in the non-essentials, liberty. And if you doubt this, read Romans chapter 14, because Romans 14 talks about this whole issue. It's like you keep these things, it's between you and God, and on the last day, on the judgment day, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to be asking us, well, what about South Mountain? What about Mountain View? Hmm? He's going to be saying, what about you? You know, he's, I mean, thankfully, if you're saved by grace, then, then that's going to be a good thing. But we're not, we're not accountable for what other people believe in. And Romans 14 says, keep these things between yourself and God. And I just want to warn you, even with just divisions, you know, you have something against someone or you're mad at them. Don't do that. Don't do that. Extend grace. Make a decision that you are going to love the way Jesus loved you. You don't have any enemies in the body of Christ. You might differ from them. They might be completely polar opposite of you in their beliefs, but as long as they believe in the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ, leave these things between them and God. Okay? And love one another. Forgive one another. Do what Jesus is telling you to do. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What are his commandments? Love one another. Love God first and love each other. That's what he's calling us to. Do to other people as you want to have done to yourself. So, I'm off my soapbox now. So, unity is crucial. Unity is crucial. And Jesus says, 
after he's given this command to go into the world and to teach and to baptize and to make disciples and to all these things, and then he says, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Be sure of this. Be certain. He is with you, even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your trial and your sorrow and your grief and your shame. He is there. He is mighty to save, but he is near to the brokenhearted. There is the perpetual presence of God, the personal, the intimate presence of God that you can experience. Remember I was telling you a few weeks back, I just I started shutting the radio off in my car and just talking to Jesus, just having conversations with him. And it's, it's so invigorating. It's, it's really life-changing. I don't mean to overstate it. It is life-changing. Just shutting out the noise and just hearing him, just letting, letting the word of God just soak in my brain. Chris, would you mind coming up? I um, have invited Chris to come forward. And I didn't ask him until this morning because I didn't want him to stress out, so you might be next. <laughs> um, this is Chris Stringfellow, whose phone is ringing. Hi, Chris. Hi. Chris was the very first person to come to Jesus when we moved to Utah. Yeah. Yay, God. So, Chris, what was going on in your life during that time? Uh, I guess I was doing a lot of partying, uh, drinking, drugs. My marriage was falling apart. My job was dead end. And I... uh, it was pretty much a wreck. So you were living the dream. Living the dream. Living the American dream. dream. <laughs> and then what happened? Uh, well, the Lord put a few people in my life. Uh, the Van Rees, Calmeras, Lees, uh, this, these families that came out to, to Utah to plant a church. And um, it was uh, a nine-month process about. Um, kind of mm-hmm. like childbirth. <laughs> There's a little pain in there. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Utah, like my whole life, 29 years, 28 years um, at that point, and uh, never heard the gospel at all. And um, and then I met these people that that wanted to be my friends, that just spoke truth into my life. It wasn't like a persuasive argument. It was just, hey, we want to be your friends, and God loves you, and God has a plan for you, and um, and the Lord, you know, it wasn't a surprise to the Lord that I was going to be, um, that I was going to give my life to him. It was just like, just seeing these things fall into place, and when I reached that point of just being completely broken, those seeds had already been spoken to me and God was doing the work at that time. So dragging you. Yes. And I'm very happy to say that Chris and his beautiful wife, Amy back there, wave your hand, Amy. They are uh, actually a service team. Can you come up? We're going to take communion together. Um, But I want to say that Chris and Amy are true disciples. They are 100% sold out for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Their marriage has been reconciled. They've both been delivered from drugs, delivered from meth, right? Yes. And, and pain medication and all of it, antidepressants, all of it, they have both been transformed, completely changed. This is what it looks like to have a disciple, someone who, who has given their whole life to the service of the Lord. And this is what we're called to do because you never know when you plant those seeds and you share those things. We, we didn't know that it was ever going to happen. I mean, it seemed like a really long process. But thanks be to God. In his faithfulness, he dragged Chris and Amy into the kingdom and, he, and they are now true disciples. Can you? Thank you. Thank you. So we are going to take communion together today. And, and I, I have, it's a twofold purpose. 
You can go ahead and start passing that. Um, just hold on to your little cup and your wafer for now while I blather on. Um, you know, the unity thing is really, that, that really struck me this week. It, the significance of unity in the body of Christ and that we not have issues with other believers, that we don't have unforgiveness, we don't have bitterness, and we don't have judgments against other people. But in the same manner in which we are forgiven, we forgive others. And so I just want to ask you today, as you take this bread and this, or this wafer in this little cup, as a symbol of Christ dying on the cross and shedding his blood so that you could be set free, that the world would know because of our love for one another and because of our unity that Utah could come to know Jesus. We are going to pray a prayer specifically for Utah. And I would like to ask you to call out the names of the people that God is burdening your heart with. Bring their names before the throne of God. And, and say it. Say, Lord, I want to see Monica come to know you, Lord. Draw her by your spirit. God, give me opportunity. Pray, the, pray this prayer before the Lord. But when we take this little wafer in this cup, let's release all of our little pettinesses and our little differences and our little unforgiveness and all of the things that are preventing us from being completely set free and filled with the spirit and able to see his kingdom expanded. Amen? It said that, that on the night he was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. We've all been betrayed. We've all been hurt. We've all been rejected. But in the same way that Jesus forgave us, we need to forgive others. So the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's do that together. The same way he took the cup and he said, this is the blood. This is the new covenant that we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore that Jesus was sacrificed for our sins so that we could be forgiven and that in doing so we can forgive others and that we can be unified. So can we just determine in our minds, in our hearts, we are going to let go and forgive others right now? And let's take the cup. I don't know if you're physically able or not, but if you are, I would like to ask you to get on your knees as a sign of humility. It is a form of worship. It's called Barak. It means to kneel before the Lord. And we are going to pray for our state, pray for our city, pray for our neighbors. But I want you to, just between you and the Lord, call out the name of those whose hearts need freedom, need those chains broken. Oh, Father, we just come before you humbly, Lord. We are so grateful for your goodness. We are so grateful that you are a faithful and a strong and a powerful God and that you are mighty to save. And Lord, right now we come before you. God, we join with the world, with the prayer warriors of the world all over our nation and all over the world that are praying for Utah praying for this area, praying that the eyes of the blind would be open and the ears of the deaf would be unstopped. God, we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, pour out your spirit. Lord, the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few. Lord, make us ready. Make us ready, Lord. Make us bold. Show us, Lord. Show us those who need to hear the truth, who need to hear the good news. Let us use our words, God sharing the good news. So let's, right now, let's just name, name these names before the throne. Right now. 
Lord, as we lift up these names, remind us, Lord, continue to break our hearts for the things that break your heart. Lord, I know your heart is breaking over the lost. Your heart is breaking over those who are deceived. Lord, those who don't know you and your desire is, Lord, that that whosoever will would come to know you. Continue to burden our hearts and give us boldness to proclaim the gospel in the state of Utah and throughout, throughout our circles of influence, Lord. And we bless you and we thank you in advance because we know that you are faithful. We know that you hear the cry of the righteous, Lord, and we are righteous because of you only. But we cry out. We cry out for Utah. We cry out for Park City. We cry out for Salt Lake City. We cry out for South Jordan and West Jordan and Bluffdale and Harriman and Draper and Sandy and Taylorsville and Midvale and Murray. Lord, we cry out for Bountiful and for Cedar City, St. George. God, all the little surrounding towns, we cry out. In the name of Jesus, save the state. Lord, save the people of the state. Bring your presence. Bring your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you stand now? If there's anyone in it, if you have never, yeah, can you stand? We're going to have a healing service right now. <laughs> um, if you have never been introduced to Jesus. You have never heard the gospel like Chris said. You've, you may have never heard the good news that God loves you and that you can be forgiven. And if that's you, I just want to ask if you just slip up your hand, raise your hand if you've never heard that before. Or if you, if you want to surrender your life to him right now. Just ask. This is for believers and non-believers alike. Raise your hand if you want to surrender Raise both hands. International sign of surrender. Lord, we surrender. God, we surrender to you. We give ourselves to you fully, Lord. Use our lives for your glory. And we just bless your name. Amen. 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 Hug a couple people on your way out. I love y'all.